Good morning, Gospel Fellowship. Oh, y'all quiet in here. Good morning, Gospel Fellowship. See, I, I don't know about you, but on a morning like today, I am just glad that I've been rescued and redeemed. I was headed nowhere fast. Uh, the wrath of God was coming upon me, and at the right time, the Scripture declares, Jesus stepped in. He made a way that I might be restored to God's good graces. And so I'm standing here today, not because of anything that I've done, but because of Jesus and his work. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Well, uh, if you would, won't you join me one more again in a time of prayer as we ask God to bless the hearing and the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we love you. Uh, God, you are merciful. You're gracious. Uh, we've come here today uh, for, for, for many reasons, at least uh, in our perspective. Some of us might have come here today because uh, our boo thing invited us and we just wanted to keep them happy. And so we're here. Others of us are here because uh, somewhere along the lines, our family established a tradition of where we go to church on Sunday mornings. Uh, still others of us are here because we want to hear you. Ultimately, all of us are here because you have directed our steps. You've drawn us to this place, and you've drawn us here with intention. Your, atten your intention is that we might be confronted with beauty, that we might be confronted by perfection in Christ Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, I, I pray a simple prayer on this morning. I pray that you would show up, that, that, that you would tear the roof off of this place, and that you would come down in power and might highlighting Jesus, convicting us of sin, and encouraging us to walk in light of gospel freedom. That because of Christ, we are free. That because of Christ, we can receive pardon. And because he sent his spirit, we can be empowered to live the way you call us to. Now, Holy Spirit, I am tired. We've been in this renovation process, as Pastor, uh, as they, as Pastor Rodney alluded to in our prayer this morning before we got up here. Uh, we, we've been building out a, a home uh, where our people in Hollywood could gather to worship. And my bones are weary. I'm mentally fatigued even. And yet in you, my soul rejoices. So, so God, I pray for preaching power on this morning. Help me to preach and uh, to teach your word with precision and power. Uh, that people would be saved, that marriages would be restored, and that everyone would be pointed to hope. Do it now in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, Gospel Fellowship again, thank you for having me here today. Uh, I think, I might be wrong, but I think I might have been the first or like second invited guests to preach at Gospel Fellowship. Uh, and so in a very real way, I consider you family. Uh, I appreciate your pastor so much um, and your pastors. Uh, it was uh, Elder Sam uh, who got us incorporated even and all that kind of stuff as a church. And so I appreciate you more than you can know. We're going to jump into the sermon because I don't have too much time. Uh, but at the outset of this sermon, where we'll be discussing uh, things such as marriage, I, I just want to get a couple things out of the way at Cruciform. We're, we're just bold and kind of direct, and I'm going to do the same thing here on today. Uh, I know what you're going through. Uh, 
Been there, done that. My wife and I, we got married real young and dumb. Didn't know nothing. Nobody in my, there was one married couple in my family, and they were both addicts. No other married couples that I had a model of, literally. Got married when we were young and dumb, out of wedlock. Spent a year married, but my wife spent more time back at her parents' house than at our place uh, because of all the conflict that existed between her and I. After our first year of marriage, we divorced all the way, child support, the whole nine. God, by his good grace, brought us back together. We've been married 10 with three babies now. Just get that right out the way. You name the drama, the complaint, the argument. I'm young, but we started young. Been there, done that. All of it. You name it. Been there. Because of that, I can preach this sermon to you today. When I, when I talk to you about the hope of Christ and marriage, I want you to understand I'm not doing that as the guy who ain't never been through nothing. Been through more than I should have because of foolishness. And we've seen the, God, the hand of God at work in miraculous ways. Amen? That's how I want to start. Let's go. I'll be preaching out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 on this morning. My sermon title is this, Spirit-Empowered, Christ-like Conflict Management and Marriage. Read that again. Spirit-Empowered, Christ-like Conflict Management in Marriage. If you would turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It's just one verse that we'll look at there. I believe it'll be on the screen in just a minute. If you got your Bible, you could turn there again. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. Here it goes. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this. I'm going to turn the old school way right here in this Bible right quick. 13. 3, I'm sorry, 3 verse 18. It says this. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory this is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We'll stop right there. We'll look at it again in just a moment. But, but, but let me say that conflict, it's more constant than attraction and stronger than chemistry. Conflict, it's a constant. It can't be shaked, and neither can it be swerved. In other words, whether now or later, every relationship will experience conflict. It's not a matter of if, but when. And those who spend energy trying to avoid it fail to prepare for it. Y'all too quiet in here. He said, when it comes to conflict, 
not a matter of if it will come, but rather it's a matter of when. And those who spend their energy trying to avoid it end up not preparing for it. Now, now, obviously, I'm not telling you to go looking for conflict. Lord knows there's plenty coming your way. What I'm saying is that it's better to invest time preparing for conflict than it is trying to create a conflict-free world. Because it won't happen. In fact, the innocent Son of God literally left heaven, came down, and died for we sinners in order to provide for us the forgiveness of sins and restoration of all things. And he's coming back again because of conflict. Coming back to bring about the realization of what he's already accomplished. He's accomplished for us an effective way of dealing, if you would, with marriage. If you could create a conflict-free world, he wouldn't have had to do all that. The fact that he did and is bringing it into completion implies that you can't. I don't know if you're with me. I'm coming to your block in just a moment. Give me a second. Jesus stripped himself or divested himself of his majestic robes and his heavenly throne, took on human flesh, left streets of gold, entered our rough and rugged cracked streets, made himself vulnerable even to death, death on a cross, because we couldn't fix the conflict that exists. Are you following me? If you and I could create a conflict-free world, he wouldn't have had to do none of that. The innocent Son of God died for we sinners because we cannot create for ourselves a world without conflict. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you on today is that since the fall of man, there has been a constant cosmic conflict going on with a particular focus, watch this, on marriage. Don't miss that. What I'm trying to tell you is that the whole Bible is dealing with, is, is, is the revelation of how Christ deals with a, with a constant cosmic conflict that's been going on since the fall of man. And this one thing that Jesus is doing in order to eradicate is conflict that has a special focus on marriage. Don't believe me? Look back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Took a step back, looked at it. He said, man, that's good. Then the scripture tells us that sin entered the world. And it entered the world through Eve, Adam and Eve, marriage. The first drama we see that exists is drama within marriage. Again, sin entered the world, and in that moment, conflict was born between man and God and man and man. So historically speaking, 
Marital conflict was the first sort of conflict to exist as an overflow of sin. But I don't think you're hearing me, though. Marital conflict is the outworking of sin in our most intimate human relationships. In other words, while conflict exists everywhere, nowhere is it more highlighted in than marriage. In other words, don't get married if you want to avoid conflict. In other words, investing more into avoiding conflict rather than dealing with conflict is a match you just cannot win. I want to spend the rest of my time with you today talking about how conflict is best dealt with. Now, if you don't take anything else from my sermon, I want you to take this with you. Before the first coming of Jesus, Moses had to wear a veil in order to meet and speak with the Lord. Because the glory of Christ was too much for him to handle prior to Christ's atoning work and sending of the Holy Spirit. Now, however, in light of Christ's finished work on the cross and sending of the Holy Spirit, you and I have been empowered to behold the glory of Christ, watch this, with unveiled faith. Don't miss this, family. You and I are transformed and empowered to face difficulties and conflicts of life as we behold as in a mirror Jesus, our Savior. Here's why. Psalms 103 and verse 8 says this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Let me say it this way. Jesus has dealt with our greatest conflict. And in light of him dealing with the greatest conflict that exists, you and I now can live lives where we uh, not, do not succumb to the powers of, of brokenness, of sin, and of every conflict that comes our way, but lives of victory because we are hidden with Christ in God. Listen, as we with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into the same image of the Lord from glory to glory. As we behold Christ, the scripture says, by his spirit we're transformed. That helps us or enables us to deal with conflict because what we're beholding is a Jesus, watch this, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Don't miss that. As we, with unveiled faces, behold Jesus, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that by the Spirit we are transformed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. And watch, he is merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding instead fast of you want to deal with conflict effectively behold Christ look to Jesus by his spirit as you look to him the scriptures tell us that we are transformed from one level of glory into another level of glory and the question is well what are we transformed into we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus I need you to get it. He's gracious. He's merciful. You and I, we get into problems with each other because we're quick to anger. And our love is hindered and broken because of sin. So what happens if we're transformed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus by his spirit and Jesus is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? That means that when your wife doesn't do something for you that you thought she should do for you, it's menial anyway and it really don't matter. You don't got to just go and get angry because the Holy Spirit has been transforming you into the image of Jesus who is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We're going to get there in a second. I'm ahead of myself. We'll come back to that in just a second. Here's my first point. I got just three points for you. They're real quick. My first point is this. It's not as bad as you think. I said it's not as bad as you think it is. The biggest conflict that has ever existed, I said to you a moment ago, and that has birthed all subsequent conflicts, has been dealt with once and for all on the hill called Calvary. There the conflict between God and man, and man and man was squashed eternally. Consider Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 with me for a moment. There it says that for him, uh, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Watch this. By setting it aside uh, in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put death to hostility. Here's here's what that means. There was separation between man and man. And that separation between man and man is an overflow of the separation between man and God. When I say man and man, I'm not just talking about literally man and man. I'm talking about mankind. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that there was a separation between us and God and us and each other. And on the cross, in his own flesh, Jesus took on, he obeyed the law perfectly and died under the law, killing hostility by raising up on the third day so that now you and I could have peace. Gee, it's not as bad as you think it is. Jesus has dealt with uh, our conflict, watch this, eternally, once and for all. Did you get that? There was hostility between us and God and us and each other. But on the cross and in his resurrection, he dealt with all that conflict completely. Listen, when when, when you've dealt with the root, all that's left for you to deal with is the fruit. 
Don't miss this. When you've dealt with the root, all that's left to deal with is the fruit. And don't you know fruits are much easier to deal with than roots? Don't miss it. The truth for the believer in Christ is that our biggest conflict has been dealt with effectively. At the root of every conflict, we've ever experienced a sin, and its power has been broken. See, I used to worship idols like comfort, security, and, and, and money. And so when my pride was pinched, I'd lose my cool. I used to find my identity in my performance. And so when I wasn't recognized for my efforts, I was crushed and driven to despair. I don't, there's no married people in this room, I guess. Because, see, a lot of times we find our identity, even with our spouse in our performance, and when we don't get recognized for what we've done or how great we think we are, we're crushed and driven to despair. I used to be all about myself and wound up uh, by myself and was driven to depression. Then Jesus came. He rescued me from sin, Satan, and self. Now I struggle uh, liking stuff too much, but I no longer worship idols. So when I lose it, oh, so, so I should say it this way, so I don't lose it when my pride is pinched because I don't worship idols no more. So, so when you pinch or prick my pride, I don't got to lose it no more because I don't worship those idols no more. Now I don't find my identity in my performance, but rather in Christ's performance as my substitute. So I'm not tripping when I'm not recognized by my wife. God says to me, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's all that matters. So I'm not tripping when you don't recognize me as great. I'm not tripping when my wife don't recognize me for something I did that I should have did anyway. I'm not tripping. What God says about me is true regardless, and what he says about me is most important. So if he says in you, I'm well pleased, you're my beloved son, I love you, I'm good. Now I recognize I'm not alone and I am not self-consumed. So I don't have to be driven to despair even when I'm sad or even depressed. I don't know if you're with me on this morning, but what I'm trying to tell you is this. It's not as bad as you think it is. Christ has dealt ultimately with the conflict we currently experience. He dealt with the root of our conflict. He dealt with the root, which is sin. And because he's dealt with the root of why we have conflict with each other, we just need to deal with fruit until he returns and brings about the full realization of what he's accomplished on Golgotha. Are you following me? I, 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 need, I need you to be with me real quick. If the root has been dealt with, all we have to deal with is the fruit. The problem is some of y'all don't believe the root has been dealt with. You're not with me. You're too quiet in here. You're not with me. It's hard to deal with the root. It's hard to deal with the root. Fruit stuff is what we often go to work with or chew because the root is hard to deal with. So we usually deal with fruit stuff. At least we think we do. 
But if Jesus has ultimately dealt with the root issues that creates conflict between us, what that says to me is that there is hope. I can't reach the root of why I beef with my wife. That's why we divorced the first time. We had some root issues going on that we had never recognized. And so because we had some root issues going on and the root was never healed in us, by the time we, we were talking about things, etc., like nothing mattered. It didn't matter if we pruned some things because our root was so bad. So we pruned some and then something else come up. Because the root wasn't dealt with. The root was sick, so the whole tree was sick. The fruit was bad because the root was bad. But the truth for the believer in Christ Jesus is that the root of our issues has been dealt with effectively once and for all. Sometimes we just don't, know, we don't, we don't believe the truth of what the text says. And until we believe the truth, we won't walk in it. It's like we've been in bondage and the chains have been cut off, but we're still sitting around waiting on Master. You've been freed. You've been freed. Why are you still sitting there? Why are you still waiting around? You've been freed. Walk, go. This is the tr truth for you and I. I talk with a lot of married people, a lot, a lot of people in general, a lot of believers. And so often I get guys that I'm talking to and they're like, man, I just need to experience freedom in this area because I, I just can't move forward. I said, what are you talking about, believer? From what I know, the scripture said that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That means that the chains have been broken. Jesus broke both. He took care of the power of sin and the penalty of sin. We were, oftentimes we're like penalty of sin, of freedom from penalty of sin believers. But we don't quite believe that he's dealt with the power of sin over our lives. Don't you know that the same gospel that pardons our sin sanctifies us from sin? The same gospel that's good to get us to heaven is good to free us up now. Jesus has dealt with our root issues. He's dealt with the root conflict. Now... We're to walk out and experience that freedom as we live in light of what he has already done. He's done it. He has dealt with the hostility between us and God and us and each other. It's a lot easier to deal with fruit than it is to deal with root. But church, Jesus has dealt with the root. I know I'm harping on that because listen, and I know for some of you, some of you are sitting there like, Man, what's this guy talking about? All we got to do is deal with fruit? Yes. Oh, you don't hear me. If you're not a believer, that's not true for you. But if you're a believer in this room, that's the truth. He has dealt with the root. So let me rebuke you real quick. Step into my pastoral bag. Stop it, silly. Stop fighting about nonsense. 
Stop, stop, being so, so, stop being so selfish. Stop being so angry all the time. Believer, Christ has done away with, with the power of sin in your life. And you, by the Holy Spirit, are being transformed from glory to glory into likeness of Jesus, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Some of us just need to pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to experience what I know to be true. Help me to experience in my life what I know to be true because I keep acting angry, but I don't need to because you're making me more like Jesus and he ain't angry with me even when I'm messy. Oh, I don't know if you're with me. Let's keep moving. Second point. You have everything you need right now. You have everything you need. My first point is that it's not as bad as you think it is. It's talking about conflict. My second point is you have everything you need right now. Now listen. Not only has Christ ultimately dealt with the conflict that we experience, he's also given us the spirit by which we're being transformed from glory to glory. Dr. Evans puts it this way in his commentary on 2 Corinthians 3. He says, Spiritual transformation is an internal change that reflects the character of Christ and brings about a corresponding external change. And though it requires your involvement, you don't actually transform yourself. Just notice that Paul says, we are being transformed. Family, I need you to understand, I'm not preaching you a gospel of behavior modification on the day but rather one of Holy Spirit enablement and empowerment. The same blood again that, 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 has, that, that has created for us entrance into heaven is the same blood by which you and I are sanctified. We're not saved by God's grace alone and then have to figure out sanctification uh, on our own. The blood that saves us sanctifies us. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. That blood is strong enough to save us, watch this, and keep us. It's strong enough to pardon us of sin and empower us to overcome sin. We have everything that we need right now. He hasn't only given us pardon, but he's given us his spirit by which we're transformed. James chapter 4, verse 1. This one I use in counseling all the time, marriage counseling. You probably know it. James, the brother of Jesus, he brings up a question. Says this, watch. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Y'all remember it? He gives the answer says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within your husband, your best friend, your boyfriend, your boss, or your co-worker? No, he says, what causes the fights and the arguments among you? Is it not the passions that are at war within you? I ought to get to my seat, but listen, y'all. We'll be more effective in dealing with marital and relational conflict when we finally accept that the problem isn't our spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever, but rather that 
The problem is us. I knew it'd be quiet right there. We be, listen, I'm trying to give you a nugget to run with. Starting for today, everything can change. I'm not lying, I'm dead serious. If you would just embrace the word of God to be true, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for everything. James chapter 4 verse 1 says that the reason for your fights and your arguments is not everybody else. As much as they drop the ball and disappoint you, as much as they are selfish and controlling and impatient and forgetful, James chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us that regardless of what they got going on, the problems or the passions at war within you were transformed from glory to glory into people who reflect the character of Jesus, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Watch this. By the Holy Spirit. We don't start off that way. The way we start off is pointing the finger. The way we start off is you need to work on your communication because I'm not understanding you. The way we start off is let's sit down and figure out who's the wrong one here. Married people, you should have said ouch right there. Ain't the hell with it, like on our best, most holiest days. That's how we do it, right? Look, we got to sit down and have a family conversation. What in the world is going on here? Like, am I not understanding you or are you not understanding me? Like, what's going on here? But the text says you don't need all that. Do it. It's important. But you should know right now what's going on. It's some unquenchable passions inside of you that cause you to fight when you can love. Some desires inside of you that don't allow you to be content with whatever situation you find yourself in, so you fight. It's not that the person you're with don't have any issues is that they have all the issues just like you and yet the call to the believer is not one of figure out who got the most issues but embrace the fact that you have all the issues and embrace the fact that you've been forgiven in spite of all of your issues and that you're loved and accepted with all of your issues, and then give that same kind of love and grace to everyone else. I hope you're following, following me this morning. We have everything that we need, y'all, right now. Everything we need to deal with conflict in an effective way we have. The way Jerry Bridges is a, a theologian, the way he says it is, 
that in the gospel, we don't only get a sports jacket, but that in the gospel, we get the whole suit. We get salvation and we get sanctification. The way Tim Keller says it is that the gospel is not just A to C, but the A through Z's. That it's all encompassing the way Bishop Chan, uh, Chan uh, I just forgot Chan's last name. There you go. Kilgore. I was thinking Killmonger, but he's definitely not Killmonger. The way he says it is the gospel is a multifaceted diamond. We never move on from it. We just keep spinning that bad boy. Spinning and spinning, and we look at the different facets of it. And as we look at the different facets of it, as we behold him, we're transformed by his beauty and by his love. I'll share with you a story, story, and then I'll get to my seat. Uh, Me and my wife, we had just remarried. Um, and, uh, and right after just remarrying, we went through all the counseling in the world, everything, and we were ready to get remarried. We got remarried. We were on our honeymoon of the second marriage, and um, we got there, and when we get there, uh, Facebook started blowing up. Our Facebook starts blowing up. I say, what in the world going on? So look at the Facebook or whatever, and um, some of the messiest stuff ever was put out on Facebook uh, about her and I. Like about dirt that we, that had been done, that had not been spoken about before we got remarried. Y'all not with me, y'all quiet. So, so here we are on our honeymoon. After, from what I thought, from what we thought we'd done Dealt with everything. And all of a sudden, some extreme dirt. Y'all, y'all holy. Y'all don't got no dirty y'all history, so y'all can't really feel me. But, yeah, we, we, we done been there. On the dot. Honeymoon. All the dirt come out. Say, wait a minute. Go speak to my wife. I just mentioned that she started breaking down. It was some, there was some secrets that we hadn't dealt with yet. Start breaking down. I know it's, I know it's real. I say, my goodness. <laughs> what do I do? We just got remarried. I just got my wife and my baby back home with me. My baby was still at the grandma's house only because we were on the honeymoon. They were moving back in. I start thinking, I think, man, there's this thing I heard about. It's called uh, annulment. It's when you get married, the court gives you a couple days to basically reverse it. And you say, man, I, I made a terrible mistake. Before they could even put it really in the system, They'll just reverse it. Say, man, I say, did we really just get remarried? Have an annulment a couple days? 
I was all over the place. So my wife said, hey, let's get back in the car. Let's pack our stuff. Let's go back. Uh, we definitely don't need to be out here. Drive back home. Drive back home. The next day I wake up and uh, I go to deal with the situation in the most unsanctified of ways. I'm hurt. My pride is hurt. So I go and go to deal with the situation. I'm in the middle of dealing with the situation and uh, or about to deal with the situation. And I get this vision. Uh, not, not a weird vision, just this, these texts of Scripture come to mind and this gospel picture comes to mind and it's of Christ and it's of Christ scorned. It's of Christ mocked and bloody and beaten. And I have this vision and the text come to mind. How can you say... That you love the God who you can't see, but you don't love the brother who you do see. And I see him bloody and beaten in my place for the sins that I've committed. And I get, I remember the text in Isaiah that says that he opened not his mouth. And as I have this vision, I look at Christ in my place on the cross, in my stead. I say, man. I'm as guilty as anybody, as messy as anybody, as dirty and guilty as anybody. And I want to retaliate in this moment, and I want to judge everybody right now, but how dare I judge anybody? How dare I harbor bitterness? How dare I not forgive when I've been forgiven? Struggled the whole while. Had that vision, it was powerful. Years later, I continued struggling. I made a decision at that moment. I can't go, I can't, I can't deal with this the way I want to. Because Christ forgave me. As messy as I am, who am I to not forgive somebody else? And so in light of that gospel truth, I repented and I did not retaliate. But you know, that didn't just go away, right? Yeah, the thoughts, they still came to mind. The struggle was still real. And every time I remembered that and have remembered that, I've chosen to forgive and forgive again. You want to know why? Because that's how Christ has forgiven me. Over and over again. You say, when is enough enough? I don't know. When should Jesus stop forgiving you? Say, well, but he keeps doing the same thing. Oh, y'all not with me. Got like three people with me. How many times is enough? How many times have you committed the same sin against Christ? And he's forgiven you over and over again. All I'm trying to say on the day is if you want to deal with conflict in an effective way, deal with it like, I like Philippians chapter 2. There it tells us that he came and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. Keep going a little while longer and then what you'll find is 
that at the name Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Here's why I say that. I know you think that if you keep forgiving, you're just going to be left destroyed and out to dry. It ain't how it works. God exalts the humble. Jesus humbled himself more than any of us will ever humble ourselves. God. And in light of that, Christ gave him, God gave him the name that is above every other name because we have Christ who dealt with conflict ultimately and the Holy Spirit who transforms us into his likeness. We have everything we need to resolve the fruit conflict we experience today. You think it's bad, but it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. The worst of it, Christ has already dealt with. All you got to figure out now is to how, how, how can I be a little more patient? All you got to deal with now is how, how, can I, how can I be content with what God has given me? And what you need to think about, he's already given you by the Holy Spirit. All you need to do now is submit to his work in your life. So as I take my seat, I just want to remind you that they hung him high and stretched him wide. He hung his head, and there on that bloody, gory cross, he died for me. For me. But I'm so glad on today that he didn't stay dead, but that after one and two days, he tore up his death garments that were holding him. He, he called a host of angels to move the stone away. He shook the dust off of his shoulders and got back up. I'm just glad today that on the cross and in his resurrection, he dealt with conflict once and for all. And so gracious, he sent his spirit so that now I can live in light of the reality so that I behold him and transform more and more into his likeness from glory to glory. Church, look to Jesus. Look to the one who was scorned. Look to the one who was mocked. Look to the one who was humiliated and kept on loving and kept on forgiving and kept on pressing in, and kept on embracing, look to him, and as you deal with the little fruit conflicts you got going on, be reminded that after just a little while longer, there is a better day where all things, including your marriage, will be restored once and for all. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who's taken the sin of the world. God bless you. If you will, won't you bow your heads? Join me in a word of prayer as we ask God to seal this word and dismiss. Father in heaven, we love you. We're grateful for you. God, it is because of your grace. It's because of your mercy. Uh, we're so glad on today that you're a patient God. That you're not willing that any should perish. Thank you that, that, that you are full of mercy and grace and that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you because that kind of love transforms. 
Because that kind of love heals. Because that kind of love has the ability to bring hope to hopeless situations, relationships, and even this world. God, I pray for every individual here today. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give them eyes to see with unveiled face the glory of Christ who took upon himself all of our sin and rose on the third day to deal with the root of our conflict and sent his spirit so that now we can deal with fruit conflicts. God, I pray, bring healing to every broken marriage. Bring hope to the hopeless. And God, we ask that GF would be a light post in South Florida for gospel reality lived out by your people. God, I pray for a beautiful black family. We recognize, God, all the stereotypes. We recognize how, 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 how people just talk sideways about your beautiful people. I thank you, God, that you're raising up a, a generation of people of color whose marriages thrive, who, who, who aren't just surviving but are thriving and are being models. But you said that you're bringing a, uh, together a people from every people group to be a kingdom and priest to our God forever. So, God, I pray Raise up this church. Raise up Pastor Rod and the elders to lead and influence your people for your work here in Boynton Beach. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.